Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, dog lovers. You're with me, Kate Fairweather, and this is Dogs with Jobs, the podcast that celebrates the UK's hardworking dogs. Now, it's February and I've been isolating. (laughs) As you know, I like to get out and about to meet these lovely dogs face to face. And that wasn't on the table this month. So I was very thrilled to persuade the wonderful Simone Branch of Medical Detection Dogs, the UK charity, to come and chat to us about the work that they do. Simone has been with the charity since it first acquired charitable status back in 2014 and since then it's gone from strength to strength. Over the last couple of years, for example, with the pandemic, you may have read about COVID detection dogs, for example. That's them. So everything the charity does really springs from the unarguable, amazing talents of dogs in smelling things that we can't. For this episode, we're going to focus on how the charity's specially trained assistance dogs alert their owners to impending medical emergencies, such as hypoglycemic episodes or even allergic reactions. It's of course down to the dog's amazing sense of smell. They're specially trained to identify tiny odour changes emitted by their owner before an emergency and to alert that person to take preventative action. I'm a big lover of the relationship between assistance dog handler or owner and the dog but there's also a fascinating big picture here too Um, the existence of such assistance dog help reduce 999 calls and hospital admissions but they also give people and their families much greater confidence and independence and making a transformative difference to lives so uh, i'm delighted to introduce simone So welcome to Dogs With Jobs. It's wonderful to have you with us, Simone Branch, who uh, works for the wonderful charity Medical Detection Dogs. Good morning. Good morning to you, Kate. Hi. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about this charity because uh, it's becoming quite well known, isn't it? With lots of exciting things going on. So to give you a little bit of an overview, as you say, um, we are now um, 14 years on. So we had um, charitable status in 2008 um, and our co-founder, Dr. Claire Guest, um, has led us since then. And really the story commenced with the cancer detection story and these are anecdotal stories that were actually worldwide um, where people were reporting that they were noting that their dogs seemed to be alerting them to the fact that they had cancer Um, and these were dogs that obviously were just pet dogs at home um, and and in behavioral changes that they noticed in their dogs and going off obviously then to their clinicians they were then diagnosed with cancer. Was that just out of curiosity was that that if you had a lump in a certain place that the dog would be Yes, I think there were varying stories. Certainly we knew of a lady um, personally who had a mole on her leg and um, also had a a Dalmatian pet dog. And for many years, nothing had, no, no interest had been shown in the mole. And then out of the blue, her dog started to become very interested in the mole and sniffing and licking at it. And actually became quite an irritation because it was so obsessed with, with this mole. Um, this obviously led the lady to go back to her GP and interestingly obviously when we are um, given advice and guidance from clinicians about cancer we are advised about kind of changes that might to note Um, for example um, 
changes in size, colour, and if there was any any um, discharge. And in this particular instant, nothing had changed. But um, when it was um, kind of looked into, um, she was then diagnosed with malignant melanoma. And I think possibly similar stories, as I say, um, with varying different degree, uh, different ca- cancers um, were going on um, in other individuals' cases as well. So, so the whole link that underpins everything you do, I know, which is that dogs have an amazing sense of smell and are picking up things that we can't. How that, that's, that kind of underpins everything, doesn't it? Tell, tell us about Yes, it does indeed. Um, and I think we what we truly know now is there's obviously a biochemical change um, that takes place when um, there's a disease in the body. Um, and obviously this biochemical change produces, if you like, a complex volatile signature. And it's that signature that I think has come about from whether it's hormonal changes within the body, physiological changes in the body, um, when the body becomes under strain, that we are able to train a dog um, to detect um, and tell us about. And as you say, that underpins um, all the work we do. We do have the two main arms of the charity um, the biodetection work which is where we were running proof of principle studies and still are um, so cancer proof of principle studies and other diseases as well but it also actually um, enabled the medical alert assistance dog program to launch as well because it was also diseases um, and conditions that we noted that people had particularly in the case when they have very little warning um, symptoms to tell them that something quite severe is about to happen. Um, This is where somebody would be surprised by a medical episode themselves and they wouldn't have any way of telling themselves that they were about to get one. Exactly that, exactly. So um, our earlier work um, was very much focused on individuals with type 1 diabetes um, who, as you say, doing everything their clinician advised them to manage their condition but sadly um, still had very fluctuating blood sugars Um, and on top of that making it even more challenging for them no warning symptoms so in some cases with diabetics for example they will start to um, experience some symptoms that can tell them okay I think my blood might be running a bit low here I need to take uh, test my blood and and take some um, sugar on board but very sadly there were lots of individuals that despite all the careful management um, and following a clinician's advice, were still experienced very sudden um, um, blood sugar lows and obviously uh, at risk of, of collapsing as well. So this is where the dogs come in, isn't it? It is, it is. <laughs> Exactly. Tell me how it works for someone with diabetes. So basically, obviously, um, the first thing I guess to really emphasise is um, we work very closely with the individual's clinicians. So it really is identifying that despite careful management and and, and very much being compliant um, with what their clinician would advise, they're still having experienced serious, serious danger and concern. And then obviously, um, so what the dogs are really doing is they are part of the package, if you like, of, um, um, you know, kind of how that person can look after their condition. It's not a replacement. It's very much part of it. Um, And obviously, as is the case with other assistance dogs, these dogs are trained specifically for that person. So very different, if you like, to our um, 
cancer detection dogs and biodetection dogs where the similarity is the condition, but obviously the the, the, the um, samples that we receive maybe from a number of people. This is where it's very focused on one person. Do you know, j- just to be clear for anyone listening, because I'm, I'm always aware that with the two halves really, the medical detection dogs, you have dogs that go into work in a laboratory by day and they're working with samples but what we're talking about here is an assistance dog scenario where the dog is still very much working all around smells and scents but it's in a person's home almost like a guide dog or another type of assistance dog isn't it so you're saying that's part of that person's medical setup as well as being a companion it is definitely. And and, and just to, um, I'll come back to that, but just to kind of um, make the point that we don't um, use laboratories because I think obviously the word laboratory can sometimes give um, a, a picture to, uh, to, to someone. Basically, all our biodetection dogs, and as you say, they're not working directly for one person, but they basically will come into our centre and um, maybe three or four days a week um, and um, work alongside the staff. So they're in our training centre. Um, and what's really important to emphasise is these dogs are live in um, foster homes and volunteer homes so we have no kennels um, and they will be dropped off and um, then picked up a bit like going to school I suppose <laughs> dropped up picked up um, and then um, obviously spend the rest of their time in kind of loving loving family homes yes so it's very positive training but yes um, as you as you rightly say the assistance dogs um, have been particularly picked for an individual and then they have been um, exposed to the odour of that individual's um, when they're having an episode mm-hmm. um, and are trained to pre-alert that person. And it really is all about the early warning system, which basically enables that individual to become alert to the fact that something's not right. And as we know, as we've discussed, they don't, they're unable to know that themselves from symptoms, lack of symptoms and then they are able to take action. Now, in the case of a diabetic, that would be to test their blood and then obviously noting what the blood is, know what action they need to take there. And of course, with a diabetic, um, it could be a low blood sugar that's occurring, but it could also be a high blood sugar as well, which um, is equally important really to be to be aware of. Give me some sense of scale, Simone. How, how many dogs do you work with on the medical alert side? How 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 is how is the setup? Okay, so we currently have about seventy five working um, dogs in partnerships um, nationwide. Um, wow. So that's that's exciting, um, and we're actually now. Um, in, in the process of obviously facing situations where we may be looking to put successor dogs um, with individuals um, that may have had, um, you know, their previous dog. And sometimes they are working alongside that individual um, and, the, and their um, existing dog, or in some circumstances, the client does prefer to wait um, until their first, their first assistance dog may have passed on. Presumably, you're now that you're on to second generation assistance dogs in this context, you've probably been learning more and developing as a charity, have you? How we have, we have definitely. 
And I think what's so exciting um, is obviously, you know, with the earlier work um, and, and the diabetic story was very similar, I guess, to the cancer story, the kind of anecdotal um, information we were getting that people were noting their dogs were picking up on these changes. But what it has really enabled us to do is to look outside the picture um, and again, you know, be approached by a number of other um, individuals that were equally facing um, very serious life-threatening um, situations because of um, the condition that they had. And it really came about and um, the POTS, the so posterior or static tachycardic syndrome. Um, so that's basically where an individual's um, automatic nervous system isn't working um, correctly. Okay. And basically what, what makes, uh, can occur for the individual is on um, changing position from perhaps a laying down position or sitting to an upright um, can cause a um, extreme um, response where it might be, for example, um, dropping, uh, you know, collapsing, um, dropping, um, blacking out. Um, and we've been able to train dogs to alert them to this about that's about to occur and a lot of these individuals were so limited in their life in terms of what they could do because of these conditions because they never knew um, where and when it was going to happen um, and um, even giving a dog giving perhaps one or two minutes warning has completely changed these individuals lives. But there's a huge variety here isn't there? I mean these are lots and lots of different conditions, you've got different people, you've got different personalities. Presumably your programme must be very individually tailored. Yes, I think that's been a vital part. Um, I think obviously being part of Assistance Dogs UK, there are general themes. And in terms of, for example, the el eligibility criteria, um, obviously we have to um, be, be, be so clear and, and, and certain um, that in processing an application for someone that we feel that we can justify that the need is there um, so there's always um, general the general overview in terms of our comprehensive um, eligibility criteria and assessments that we carry out and what's been really important with our work is um, and, and not just obviously with the diabetics with where we've been um, working with some other conditions and helping people with other conditions is ensuring that we have the liaison with their clinicians. So we really need to research the um, condition ourselves, um, really understand how it manifests and the challenges that um, can be presented to the, the person. Um, so a lot of, um, for example, episode data is required so we can really understand the life of the person and how the condition affects them. And as I say, having contact with their, their specialists as well so that we can assert and this is the right um, way forward for them. So from what you're saying, it's sounding as though there's a lot more complexity than just the relationship between the dog and the owner or handler. You're also building in a lot of data that you're collecting, presumably from technology that's developing alongside Yes, I mean, I think it's, as you say, I mean, obviously, in the time that we've um, been working, we have seen developments um, and technologies evolve, which um, has affected, for example, the requirement for so many diabetes alert assistance dogs. 
Um, so over the years, we have noted um, that there's some um, technology called continuous glucose monitoring, which has come about, which is basically enables um, the individual to um, for the insulin, perhaps that they require um, to be um, automatically um, delivered and an alarm system that tells them when things are changing. Now, as is the case often, you know, and I guess the reason why, uh, you know, our dogs have, were required in the beginning, there's always a, a group of people that sadly, even with the newer technologies that are coming forward, um, still are unable to get the, the, the accuracy that they require. So if they have very changing blood sugars, you can find that um, the, 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 the technology and the equipment isn't able to keep up um, quickly enough. Um, but in the, in the main, this has really been a life changer for a lot of diabetics. I think in the case of some of the other conditions that we support with, so the, the POPs that I mentioned, um, we're also um, assisting dogs with individuals that have Addison's disease as well, um, which is where there's an adrenal insufficiency um, and a lack of cortisol. Um, certainly with these conditions, I mean, for example, I know POPs um, is something that um, in more recent years, we're seeing an increase in diagnoses, but um, there is still lots of um, scope at the moment for these dogs to really assist people because the, the, the medications that are available aren't necessarily, um, in all cases, providing the management that, that, that some individuals need to be able to live, live a normal life. Gosh, it does sound as though in the 14 years that you've been going, there's been an awful lot of change. Yes, I mean, I th and I think to be honest, um, you know, we're excited by this as as an organisation. Um, I mean, I you know certainly, um, it, you know, we've worked we're working closely with lots of scientists and um, clinicians and actually um, physicists, for example, in um, Massachusetts um, um, Institute of Technology, who wow. are looking at the work this is perhaps more more um on the um, the bio side but they're looking at what the dogs are telling us about these um odors that these diseases have um and hopefully will be and already are in the process of producing what you might call perhaps an electronic nose device um so so basically a, a bit of equipment, if you like, that could do the job that the, the, the olfactory um, um, senses that we're that the dogs at the moment are, are telling us about with these diseases. So telling us, um, learning more about what these volatile organic um, pattern signatures are, which are the things that the dogs are, are able to tell us about that um, are, uh, present in um, diseases um, so that perhaps in one day in, in, in many many years down the line as we have such a um, fantastic um, capable camera in our phones you know could it be that they also has um, a, a nose um, app on it as well now this is obviously far perhaps far in the future um, but um, it is incredible what these dogs are teaching us about about our, um, the olfaction of um, and and um, the, the, the volatiles in these diseases that may be life changing for us all. Yes, but particularly when you talk about how the origins of all of this really were anecdoted and you know stories coming in of real dogs and their real human 
owners in real life having these behavioural changes. So it's, it's a lovely story, I think. And I, I love the fact that that you're moving with technology. And, and of course, I think a lot of people may have read on the biodetection side about COVID dogs and, you know, that there's kind of no end to possibilities, I imagine, in the future. What, how, how do you see the future working out? I think obviously on the assistance dog side, as I say, I, I, I truly, you know, believe that um, that the requirement for these medical alert assistance dogs, you know, they're still going to certainly be required for quite some time um, to really assist these, these individuals that, um, you know, despite the, 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 the treatments and medications that they are they are receiving are still having such limited, limited lives because of their conditions. Um, and I think on the bio side, obviously, what we have done is, is as I say, we, we've listened to those anecdotal stories and we've really wanted to have the proof of principle studies to prove, to back this up. Um, and as, in, as is in the case of the work that we do on the assistance dog side as well. Um, and this is what we've been really focused on in the last um, 14 years um, with a number of other conditions as well and, and um, papers published on the work that we've done. Um, and I think now we're in a period of time, perhaps, where we will be applying this. You know, I think we really have um, we have um, identified that dogs can have got this incredible smell that they are able to detect these odors, as it has been in the case with the COVID. Um, and now really start to apply these to maybe really help assist more and more people. Um, so, you know, the possibility of um, kind of second line screening, working on, on alongside um, clinicians on cancers, for example, that might be challenging to um, diagnose at an early point. And prostate cancer would be a good example of that um, to really try um, to identify those individuals that do require um, further investigation to try and identify what's in, going on. In a on. very non-intrusive, rather lovely way. Exactly, because, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that is the thing. Um, the other thing that we noted in the studies that we run um, with our dogs is that their um, false positive rate is very low. Um, and this can also potentially be helpful um, where there's some diagnosed um, screening um, on some cancers that perhaps that, that there is a high false positive rate, which leaves the clinician in a, in, a, in a difficult position to know who of those individuals to actually take on to do further investigation. Um, That's fascinating, isn't it? Because you're working so closely with medical science here that where there's something that perhaps medical science... I don't say how it has a problem with, but, you know, something that isn't working so well, like high false positives, for example, that that's a little area where you could make a difference. But I think obviously, I think, you know, the one thing I suppose that, you know, all um, organisations that are training assistance dogs, for example, is we're, we're so aware, as well as the um, practical um, assistance that the dogs are giving in those early alerts, um, that really are, as I say, completely life changing. And, you know, we've had individuals that have approached us before being placed with a dog who were, you know, were in positions where they were collapsing frequently. They were injuring themselves. They were dislocating parts of their body, um, bangs on the head, um, hospitalizations. Um, so, of course, you know, the difference those dogs have made um, and, and actually, you know, with the time we've just come through with COVID, 
taking putting less demand on our hospitals because their dogs were at home with them keeping them safe and out of hospital um but there's also obviously the the, the psychological benefits the uh, of, of having the accompaniment of a dog um and you know you know you know it could be argued couldn't it that that um having that rather than perhaps the latest technologies you know it, it is something so relevant to to bear in mind um and the difference just having that 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 dog by their side can can make yes and that's perhaps at the top of all of our minds coming out of covid isn't it with the loneliness and uh, and the fact that if people have been isolating at home having a canine companion you know normal pet as you and I perhaps have or a nosing assistance dog that can flag up a impending medical event it's uh, pretty comforting stuff yes no it is and 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 truly incredible um I mean I've been so privileged to work alongside um and 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 being with the charity since um since we commenced as um got our charitable status in 2008 and it really has been a privilege to watch these individuals who come um very isolated um they literally don't leave the house they literally don't aren't able in the case of an individual with um pots for example to cook to to shower on their own um certainly wouldn't go out unaccompanied by a a carer or or a a family member and you see the blossoming that takes place where they have this dog by their side um the dog's alert um and you you see that the you know they literally get their life back you know we've had clients that have then gone on to complete their um, college or university courses because previously they were unable to because of um, the um, the danger of having a blackout on a frequent basis with no warning and it is absolutely um, remarkable to to, to see it happen Um, and you see a client um, you know I went out to do a final accreditation with a with a partnership recently. So that's basically to say that they're all they're all they're all finished. They're all accredited. They are a, a fully fledged partnership, and an alert took place in the middle of a um, a, a clothes shop, and um, this lady um, proceeded to take out her. She had a blanket to lay on. She found a quiet space with her mum in the shop. Um, she she lay down. Um, and blacked out and the dog lay by her side um, and she was out I think for one or two minutes and then very calmly and quietly came round um, and then was able to get on with her the rest of the day and previous to having the dog um, she probably wouldn't have had the confidence to go out in the first place um, but if she had she would have really wanted to remove herself immediately from that public eye um, so these dogs have really enabled um, these individuals to kind of, you know, get, have the life that they deserve. And I'm guessing paradoxically that if you are a client and you go out and you have a blackout in a shop and it's fine because your dog's there with you and five minutes later you're getting on, mm. paradoxically, that's probably very confidence boosting, isn't it? Incredible. You can go out and about and if something happens, then it's not going to even spoil your day incredibly it really is and I think these are individuals that um very sadly previous to having a dog and obviously our dogs will have a nice big red coat that explains what their dog is helping them the individual with um may have been mistaken for being drunk 
um, or, you know, because if they started to act a bit oddly um, and, and actually maybe find themselves in a precarious dis- situations where people think, oh, my goodness, I don't want to approach or help because I'm worried that, you know, they've had too much to drink. Um, so it's that real um, sign, I think, to help the public understand what might be happening as well, which is um, makes an incredible difference. So the assistance dogs that we're talking about, they've got their uniform, they've got their red coat, so they're signifying to the general public that they're helping. They're able to give an early warning and hopefully stop a disaster or give enough warning for -hmm. somebody to deal with it and feel that confidence. What a wonderful thing. How... So you've got 75 or so of these dogs. Are you particularly finding particular breeds are very suitable? Do you have a breeding programme? Okay. How, how does that work? I guess, I mean, as is the case for any assistance dog organisation, um, the temperament of the dog is the, is the key. Um, I think we live in such a busy world these days, don't we, um, that, you know, for a dog to be able to accompany their client into any environment that they 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 they, they do have in their in their life, um, they need to be very robust, kind of so out in public. Um, they need to enjoy the job, and I think that's what's so fundamental um, that we want our assistance dogs to be happy in the role that they are carrying out. Um, so that does mean a lot of assessments. Um, um, you know, socialising and getting them used to these environments, but then constantly reviewing and assessing to make sure that they are comfortable and happy. And then, of course, in order to be alert dogs, we actually, um, as well as needing a dog that's very well behaved and very peopley, so peopley is key, um, because obviously we want that dog um, to want to be with the person and not be too independent and be more interested, perhaps, in what's going on on the other side of the, <laughs> other side of the room. Um, so they've got to be peopley, but they've also got to have quite a, uh, um, a little bit of a kind of, not jack the lad, but quite confident in their own skin as well. Because what can happen um, if an, an individual is beginning to, to um, have an episode starting, they, you can often find that they then their cognitive function can be impacted or start to be impacted. So if a dog is just going to sit and stare at them as an alert, they could easily miss that as they progress into the episode. So we really need a dog that's going to say, hang on a minute, you need to do something. And that might be an escalation of an alert. So that could be um, pouring, nudging, stopping dead still on their lead if they were out in public. And being able to break out of that, if you like, best behaviour to be able to alert. So we need dogs that are good at problem solving, as I say, quite confident in themselves, quite happy-go-lucky is how I probably described them, Um, which can make it a bit of a challenge for our dog supply department to find that type of dog. But like other assistance dog organisations, um, the Labrador type can work very well in, in, in that kind of um, um, role. Obviously, very highly motivated by food and reward, which is what we utilise um, to tell the dog that they've, they've, that they've, they've, they've got it correct. Um, and that's how we associate our um, the, the odours of the conditions by by a high reward for the dogs but the lovely thing I think about our work is that um, as long as they've got the aptitude and the the characteristics of being an assistance dog it doesn't have to be a Labrador 
Um, so we worked with York, a Yorkshire Terrier. We've got placed up in Scotland. Um, we've got spaniel types, poodle types, um, crossbreeds, um, which is fantastic. Because um, as you, you, you know, I think you mentioned yourself earlier, it is so much about getting the right bond. Um, and the fact that we see so many um, pet dogs actually make do this themselves they teach themselves and tell their owners and that really will be coming from that very special bond and closeness they have um so um that's what we work very hard at is is, is getting the right dog for the right person and it tends to be like putting a puzzle together and you find the pit the bits just fit you just it, have a sense that this partnership will work Yes, I mean, sometimes, um, and it doesn't happen all the time, of course it doesn't, but there are so many occasions where we, we, we run our um, applicant handling sessions. So this is where an individual is starting on the road um, and we do lots of practice and the equipment and the commands and just getting that individual used to having the dog around them and what it means to have an assistance dog. And um, so a lot of these dogs will come in as advanced dogs in training, but they won't necessarily be brought in as a match. But we've seen um, we've seen magic kind of, you know, um, in front of us where you kind of whether that dog is, you know, shows very connected with that person may even um, have shown some alerting response if they were experiencing an episode. Um, so that is that is of paramount importance in, 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 in making sure we do get the right the right match. And um, that's something that it seems like alchemy of almost, you know, like a kind of the magic bit, isn't it, where you have that connection between canine and human. Definitely. I'm interested that you say you can see it because we've done quite a few interviews and dogs with jobs over time, and so often and that that indefinable connection is what people talk about that you know it's just there they can feel it the dog can feel it because there's there's a huge kind of it's, it's quite an intimate relationship isn't it this particular it assistant. is it is um and so our dogs um will remain in a training phase for a little bit longer perhaps than some of the other assistance of organizations and that really is because um as you as you rightly say um, the odours that, that are coming are coming from the individuals. So perhaps unlike um, dogs who are really helping individuals, perhaps with physical um, disabilities, so that might be, for example, fetching fetching something or bringing something out of a washing machine or um, alerting to a doorbell or a telephone in the case of a hearing dog. Um, and that's, that's, you know, obviously a trainer and an instructor can take on that person quite easily and, and, and you know, have, you know, practice. Whereas for us, whilst we will do the exposure to the odour and build up a really positive response, um, because we mustn't forget that, um, you know, when someone goes on to have, a, have an episode, that could be quite a distressing situation. So it's vital that that dog has a positive association with what's about to happen and proactive rather than concerned. Um, but actually it's not really until you get that dog with that person that the dog starts to really learn and it becomes it's almost like a unique language actually um and what we'll note is that the client you know once that dog is established and has been with that person they become the best person at saying when that dog's alerting um and it, it, it is like i say like a unique language that takes place between the dog and the person 
Um, and that's, I think, as I said, that's what makes it such a remarkable thing to witness um, and observe because you see the communication between canine and person um, and then that person is safe and, and as you say, injury free um, or has safely been able to um, navigate through an episode that otherwise could have seen them lose their life. I mean, certainly in the case of our um, Addison's disease alert dogs, you know, it, 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 it really is life threatening, you know, when their cortisol levels have um, reduced and there's, um, you know, and these dogs alert to tell them. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us because it's such a wonderful area. I think uh, we've talked to assistance dogs of various types and there are these subtle differences, but this is one where I've uh, just been struck by the sheer intimacy of that relationship. And I guess that no dog knows how it's going to respond until it has its first episode to deal with with its partner does it you can't practice for it so all of this that you're putting in place you don't know if the magic's there really until until they're placed do you no although we have um we've based the process of matching and placing a dog we have made some amendments to so we do do a home stay um before we would actually um progress to um a formal placement because as you say it's um you know until you've kind you know we obviously do lots of sessions at the center where they're, they're kind of handling that dog and getting to know each other but it's not really until they go home and they relax um they see the um how the interactions and engagement with the rest of the family um and that's a way to be able to make sure that we're on the right track that this is right um, we've learned in the past, you know, I've had situations where dogs have been um, matched and placed with an individual and the alerting, whilst we've been able to get it up to perhaps 50% correct alerting, it's been a bit of an upward, upward um, battle to get it up to where it should be, which is that kind of high 90s, um, even in some cases 100%. And then what's happened is we may have um, made the decision it's not the right thing for that individual, not the right dog and replace that dog and then you see it the, the alerting is just very very natural and it just happens and it it's you know it was literally just it wasn't quite the right match for that person um the other thing I just wanted to mention because I know I, um, I I didn't answer you about the breeding um obviously because of the um ability if you like that a lot of these dogs have this ability to do this job um it has enabled us obviously to be able to um consider rescue dogs so we're always working very closely um with rescue centers and actually the biodetection type dog that we have doesn't necessarily have to have exactly the same character characteristics as an assistance dog so um they're not necessarily having to do the public access elements um so that does enable us to um consider um a wider range of, of dogs for our work oh, um, career alternatives if, if yes exactly working on one side it may work on the other yes. side yes and that's fantastic. I mean, I have to say, um, obviously, that does mean that in terms of our failure rate, if you like, if you want to call it that, it, it's fairly low. Because, um, as you rightly say, um, if a dog is quite right for one particular role, 
there could be the possibility that they may be able to um, assist and um, do another role on the other the other side. Um, so, but I, you know, I would imagine that you know, as we are um, meeting the demand of needing perhaps to place more dogs, um, that we may look at um, developing breeding lines as well um, that are specifically looking for the aptitudes of these dogs that we that we need. But I think obviously we, we're very committed to ensuring that we can fully support our partnerships. So we are, as you say, being very cautious and taking our time um, and making sure we have local or fairly local instructor um, support so that once a partnership is established, there is someone on hand to be able to you know, look after them through the whole of the duration of their life together. It's not just about that kind of initial initial part it's it's the hopefully the next 10 years and um as we know with anybody that has animals or you know it, it, you have to kind of keep working at things don't you you kind of you can reach you certain standards <laughs> but um it's about maintaining them as well which is so important so as a team we're very committed to making sure that we can we're in a position to be able to offer that and um support them long term Simone it's been a delight. Thank you so much. Um, if people would like to hear more and find out more, where should they come? The best thing is to go to our um, website, so the Medical Detection Dogs website. Um, there's lots of information, and obviously I've probably really just touched the, touched the surface, really. Um, and um, certainly if someone was um, in a position where they, they feel that they may be a requirement of an assistance dog, a medical alert assistance dog, all the information is um, online and the application process, how to apply, the eligibility criteria. And if anyone is interested in the science or um, our publications or more about our COVID work or our bio detection dog work, again, there's a whole um, source of information on our website um, to be able to, to, to read through. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I hope that we'll get together perhaps in another six months and talk more about the biodetection side. But uh, it's fantastic work that you're doing. And thank you so much for taking time to talk to us on Dogs with Jobs. Lovely. Thank you very much. I do hope you enjoyed hearing from Simone about the charity's work in medical assistance alert dogs. Or should I say medical alert assistance dogs? I think I should. Uh, thanks Simone for coming along and I'm very much hoping that later on in the year perhaps towards the autumn uh, we might speak to uh, someone working on the other side of uh, that particular charity's work on biodetection um, which is equally fascinating and uh, very much tied in with scientific and technological advances um, that are incredibly impressive. So, we are hopefully heading into March with uh, the Hampshire Fire Service Fire Dogs. Uh, that's who I'm hoping I'm going to be bringing you next month. So, uh, do stick around. And as always, if you work your dog or dogs and you would be happy to come talk to me and introduce me to your wonderful dog or dogs, I'm always up for it and uh, there can never be too many working dogs in my life just contact me at team at shineradio.uk and uh, don't forget to uh, share the news to anyone you know who's interested in working dogs have a great month what was the rival to the vhs video format which author predicted the apollo moon landing who became the youngest winner of the wimbledon men's singles title petersfield's shine radio with ian crossman i have quiz questions on 
all sorts of topics for you to test your general knowledge and see if you can score the magical five out of five. The Brighter Minds Quiz is proudly supported by Churches College. Every Saturday and Sunday night from nine. Petersfield's Shine Radio.